Yeah, good morning one more time. Uh, it's great to be with you here this morning. Um, we are in a series, as you can see from our screen here, Facets. It's going to take us a total of 11 weeks. And uh, oh my, <laughs> love, joy, peace. That was fun, right? Of course it is. It's love, joy, and peace. Today, guess what? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, we're going to get there. <laughs> yes. With the preacher, please. Let me read uh, our text, our main text for the series for you, then we're going to pray. But the fruit of the Spirit, Paul wrote, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you. We are so grateful, um, again, that... You are our God. We are so grateful that in every one of these facets, these traits, um, we have been seeing you. These reflect who, in fact, you are. They reflect, in fact, who we are to be. And so I just want to thank you so much. Holy Spirit, uh, this is your fruit. It is the fruit of the Godhead. And so we pray that you would ripen us even this, even this morning as we're here, w- would you continue just to bring reflections to our minds of love, joy, and peace? And then as we dive into the subject of patience, would you help us? Would you help us? Would you help us? I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So we've noted uh, more than a few times, I know, uh, during the series that uh, this is fruit Singular. I still am amazed. I do some, you know, Googling around and going, sermon titles on on the internet, fruits of the spirit. And I'm going, okay, preacher, come on. Like, it's it's singular, right? But, you know, we look at all of the different facets and so forth, and and we forget that. And so we've been highlighting that, that it's important. We've also repeatedly note that it is the spirit's fruit. It is his fruit. And despite each facet, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, as we'll see today, being what, what most human beings on the planet today would say, would say are natural human virtues, and a natural, well, yes, they are, because we have the Imago Dei in us, all of us naturally know that these are good, but replicating them, that's hard. Why? Because these fruit, this fruit that's described here is supernatural. It's completely supernatural, and we've been repeating that over and over again. It's fruit that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of a person who has already been grafted into the vine, who is Jesus Christ. That's important for us to remember. We've also learned when we looked at John 15 and Jesus' teaching about the vine and the vine dresser and us being the branches, etc., that the ripened fruit of the Spirit is the best evidence to this lost and dying, and hurting, and impatient world of the gospel. And that we are also true disciples of Jesus Christ, that we are Christians. That's supposed to be primarily our witness. Not just our apologetics and our proclaiming at people. It's this. Jesus said that in John 15, verse 8. He said, by this, this vine and the vine dresser and the fruit that comes from the vine... 
My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Again, highlighting, we're not proving to Jesus or to God that we're his disciples. He knows that. He's called us. We're proving to the world and to one another that we are, in fact, his disciples. So that's important. So we've learned that. Jesus said that, actually, in Matthew 7, which is interesting. He said that you will recognize them by their fruits. And so we always look at that and we think, that's awesome. They will recognize us by their fruits. Amen. But there's a context here that's really important for us to see. And if you've been wondering, maybe even questioning, the idea that the fruit of the Spirit is supernatural and therefore all attempts by anyone who's outside of Christ to replicate it is, as Tim Keller, not just your preacher here, Glenn Davies, says, is a counterfeit. It's a replica at best. If you're struggling with that, then let me just show you what Jesus actually says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Hmm. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit. Not uh, bears fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. So, so Jesus himself is saying, actually, every human being bears fruit. Everyone bears fruit. Christians bear a specific kind of fruit that is desperately needed to be seen by this world. But others are bearing fruit too, based on human will and human strength and human power. There's something more powerful than that that comes from the Holy Spirit. So now imagine, I wanted to think about that this morning before we get to patience, because that's going to be fun. Just imagine how attractive that could be to a world today that is mired in social media angst. Anybody? Spite, anger hatred even, violence, all kinds of vulgarity and tolerance, and violence in a world that tries hard, despite all the things that they see are going on, tries hard to be loving, tries hard to be, if not joyful, at least happy, tries to be at peace as best as possible, but in their own strength can't seem to ever not only get there, but certainly to maintain those feelings, those experiences. And then imagine this, if every once in a while, whether at work or at school or wherever, they encounter a follower of Jesus, a Christian in whom the fruit is actually ripening, someone who exhibits an abiding possession of agape love, of joy, that is not lost when they suffer when they struggle. It's not lost when they too see what's going on online and go, ah! It's not lost. They have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Imagine if people get to see that. Well, that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. Wants us to reflect from him through the power of the Holy Spirit to this world. So think about it. In order for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to have impact in this world, it must be fleshed out in our lives. It must be. 
It must be fleshed out in the lives of those who are filled with the ripening spirit, fruit, pardon me, of the spirit. However, listen up, kids. Me too. However, imagine for a second the negative impact, right? When we're no different than the world. Imagine that. Imagine, it's a sad indictment, isn't it? When friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates see little or no, no evidence whatsoever of this supernatural gift and fruit that we have. Imagine if they don't see that, right? We should naturally then expect them not to even listen to us when we go, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> I'm a Christian. We should naturally not expect them to even think about it for a second. They'd, they, they'd be right to quote something that Gandhi apparently once said. There's questions about it, but I, it's, a, it's an interesting quote. Apparently he said, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. You Christians are not like him much at all. Ouch. Right? Well, I would suggest also there are many, an atheist or non-Christian who would agree with that quote because their experience with many Christians, not all, none of you, of course, but their experience with many Christians would be, yeah, you know what? I, I know they go to church, but they're not walking the talk. It would be an indictment. On the other hand, on the other hand, please listen to me. Please hear the good news. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure that most of you who are in this room today, I would hope at least once, if not many times, if not even today, will experience, have experienced someone, a man or a woman, in whom the fruit is truly ripening. You've experienced it. And, and you've actually at some point even said to them, who are you? What is with that? Where does that come from? And then it's at that point they say, well, not me, but him. Amen? That's the beauty of it. So, patience. <laughs> uh, my mother used to say to me, Glenn, patience is a virtue. Anybody? I would be like, when's lunch? <laughs> I read somewhere that the first three, uh, love, joy, and peace, are kind of like the high watermark. They're kind of the, the foundational aspects. And then, and then patience is like, okay, it's Monday morning. <laughs> Let's see how love, joy, and peace are actually ripening in you. And when you think about the rest of them, it's the same thing, right? They're, they're now the practicality, the working out of these things. So I want to consider our relationship with patience. Oh, it's been a tough week for you, preacher. Just thinking about it, really, honestly. Being patient. So, so what, what does it look like? Now, I want you this morning to honestly meditate on these things. Think about it. Not only, listen, don't think about what patience looks like in other people, okay? That's just way too easy. Let's reflect on what it looks like in me here this morning. Do we actually like and appreciate patience? Do you? Is it really a virtue to you? Right? Or is it a huge struggle? Well, if you're like me or most people, your patience get test, gets tested many times every day. I had to this week think about, okay, Glenn, you know, it's, you know you're, you've been awake for five hours. How many minutes in the first five hours were you impatient? Oh, it was painful. My internet was slow that morning. <laughs> so why, why is that the case? Why is, come on, you're, you're all, I can tell you're all very honest people. Why is it that we're, we struggle with patience? Why is it that we're so impatient? Well, obviously, we live in the days of instant gratification. 
you and I were raised in the proverbial pot of soup that's warming up, and you've been told since you're a child, you deserve the best. And, and you deserve it now, right? And, and we are so brought into that. We, we, we actually believe we've been conditioned, especially those of us in North America, to expect our needs, wants, and desires to be, to be satisfied too sweet, as the Irish like to say. Okay, that's the best one I got this morning, okay. No, really, we don't you? We do, I believe we do. I'm going to give you uh, this challenge as you leave today. Be mindful of this this week. This, this, is, this is really, this is a key one, I think. As you're going to hopefully see as we progress through this, this is key to our Lord. Patience is key to him for you and for me. And so listen, whether it's, how about driving? Hmm. Any, any problems when you're driving? I see a few smiles. Yeah, I know. I drive out with Janice to Chilliwack to visit her mom or her father who passed away last year, and I don't know how many times I'm sitting there in the passing lane going, it's the passing lane. <laughs> and Janice is going, who are you talking to? Right? That guy. Who didn't get the memo. How about getting takeout? It's called fast food after all, right? You get in the line at Tim's or whatever it is, and it's like, is going now. The worst for me, I got to tell you, the worst for me is the grocery store. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> so you know, like I'll have my six or seven items because I'm not like a big shopper. I go for what I need when I need it, and I'll be standing there. Like you're six, you, you look for the shortest line, don't you? I look for the shortest line, right? And then I get in, and there's two or three people in front of me, and then all of a sudden, the checkout clerk is talking to some person about their dogs, and I'm like, my foot is tapping already now. Right? It's like, wait, what? Finish the conversation. And then the person says, oh, by the way, where's the best sushi in town? And I'm like, use your phone. There's TripAdvisor, Google Maps. Let's go. I am just not even kidding. Like, I, I... And then, of course, they have the, self, the self-checkout, right? And that's a disaster too, isn't it? So you leave that line and you go over and you see there's only one person there. And then all of a sudden you see eight more people down the aisle. Thank you, Save on Foods. Sorry, guys, but I mean, it is my nemesis. <laughs> I remember quite well when I was a, a, a young salesman at Babler Radio in downtown Toronto. Awesome stair shop. The owner, Saul Mendelson, who started the store, was a, was a very well-known figure in Toronto. And he was a poet. And he loved to write poetry, mostly limericks that were quite funny, except the one he wrote about me, which I'm not going to tell you. Um, but he wrote this one, which I love. I still remember it to this day. Supermarkets I have seen, super efficient, super clean. Tell me, tell me, ease my doubt. Why must I line up to get out? <laughs> I think he wrote that in like the 40s. I don't know. But I loved Saul. So it's a problem. It's a very, very big problem for us that we're dealing with. And uh, doctors will tell you, if you research this, they will tell you that actually at the root of most stress... And anger is impatience. Also, the Word of God is going to show us there's one other element that's at the, it's at the core of impatience. And we'll save that for a moment. So, it might be helpful at first to, to try to define biblical patience, what's going on in the Word of God here today for us this morning, that the Apostle Paul is actually writing about. The Greek word that's used here is very similar to the Hebrew word, actually, and it they could be translated one of two ways, better than, quite frankly, patience, because the King James, of course, translates it correctly in this case as long-suffering. Or 
forbearance. A man by the name of Christopher Wright wrote a very good book about the fruit of the Spirit called Cultivating the Root of the Spirit. And he gave, based on those two definitions, two very good definitions which I want to put on screen for you this morning. The first is the ability to endure. That word's important. Endure for a long time. (laughs) Whatever opposition and suffering may come our way and to show perseverance without wanting retaliation or revenge. And then secondly, the ability to put up with the weaknesses and foibles of others. Really? Including believers. And to show forbearance toward them without getting quickly irritated or angry enough to want to fight back or strike back. So this gets a little bit tougher now, doesn't it? This patience thing. To have patience like this is very hard, and it doesn't doesn't come on. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally for me. No, this is supernatural patience, and it is produced by the Holy Spirit of God in us. So the questions for us to answer today then are twofold. One, how is this actually produced? We know who produces it. It's the Holy Spirit. But how does he actually accomplish that in you and in me? And secondly, what's it look like, or should it look like, when it's actually fleshed out in our lives? So, first of all, we've defined patience. However, since it's the fruit of the Spirit, fruit that is the very nature of God himself, how does God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, model that for us? How have they? How have they in the past? How do they today? So, let's first consider the patience of the Father as modeled for us in the Old Testament. Now, this is an important point because, sadly, today... What started, I I remember this about 20 to 25 years ago, is this idea that the God of the Old Testament needed a bit of a makeover, right? And that's why Jesus came. Because the God of the Old Testament is all about anger and wrath, right? And and, and not so much about patience. Like, that's not apparently noticed very much. And so we really need to have a look at that and, and see that because, after all, for some of you who've been reading the Life Journal so far this year, and I know many of you have been write, reading along with us, you, you've actually probably, as been going through early parts and mid parts and, of the Old Testament, you've, you, you've read a lot about smiting, right? There's a lot of smiting going on, especially of the Philistines and the Amalekites and all the other ites. I mean, there's passages in the Old Testament where God himself actually tells David and others, prophets and others of his leaders to kill men, women, children, all the animals of a people group. He does. He pours out his anger and his wrath on sorcery, sin, and rebellion. He does. So patience could get overlooked. It could. However, God wants us to know a little bit about how patient he is in the Old Testament. What he said to Moses was at a very interesting time. He said in Exodus 34, 6, The Lord, the Lord. This is God speaking to Moses. A God, me, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This, this is, of course, it's in the context when he's telling Moses this. This is in the context of the people of Israel having just made a golden calf, right? And being incredibly unfaithful and, and, and you know, bowing down and worshiping the calf. And he's saying this to Moses where at the same time, God was already saying to Moses, I'm going to destroy them. And he doesn't. 
because Moses pleads with him. Slow to anger is a good definition of patience when it comes to our God. The whole of the rest of the Old Testament is a constant demonstration of our Heavenly Father's patience with His people, sending them judges and prophets like Hosea and Jeremiah who warned the people for something like 40 years. I'm warning you. (laughs) He's going to punish our unfaithfulness. He's going to. He has to. He's just. That's the patience of our God. So I'm sure some of you are hearing the words of Psalm 103, which I believe we're going to sing in conclusion today. The great hymn, The Lord is Gracious and Compassionate. You can hear that, right? Well, let me read also these words from Psalm 103 that goes on to say, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, however, nor will he keep his anger forever. He can't. He has to judge. He has to. But look at this. This is the important point. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He should, but he's patient, and he doesn't. In the history of the of Israel, pardon me, in the Old Testament, yes, there are times of God's anger, but they need to be seen in light of the long story of God, of his patience over many centuries and many generations. God's judgment only fell after years and years of warnings and appeals by him to his people to return to him and be faithful. So as we've already noted, patience is also designed as, I love this word, forbearance. Bearing is in the midst of that. It also implies bearing or carrying a burden. Look at this. In Isaiah 43, 23 to 24 says, this is God again speaking through the prophet Isaiah. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. And so this tells us, or should tell us, and is implied by God in this, that he's being patient with us as he himself personally is bearing, carrying the load of our sin. He's being patient as he's doing that. So there's a great tie-in with the Hebrew word for forgive, which is literally to bear or to carry. It's amazing how these things dovetail and work together when you begin to look at the depth of God's love and patience for us. When God is being patient and forgiving, it is because he is the one bearing the weight of our sins. And that is why Isaiah also wrote verses that we love to read during Advent, right? From 53, 4, and 5, it says, speaking of Jesus, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow, borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, as we saw last week. And with his wounds, we are healed. When I think of how patient Jesus was with his disciples (laughs) during that three-and-a-half-year period that we read about in the Gospels, I smile. Oftentimes, you know, 
Sometimes I'm just like, and it's not because they're more dim than we are. But it's, it's clear they just don't get it. Like, they're like, could you explain that parable to us, Jesus, one more time? Like, the Pharisees got it and wanted to kill him, but the, the disciples go, excuse me? Could you re- repeat that? Like, and, and, and Jesus is just, he's so patient. And, and at, at times, sometimes, actually, it, it feels like he's getting a little impatient with them, doesn't it? I mean, he would be justified, wouldn't he? Of course, he, he might, but, but he does so without being sinful. And so on one occasion, a man actually brings his son to Jesus who was suffering from seizures. And the man tells Jesus that he brought this, his son to the disciples, but they couldn't cast out the demon. They couldn't do anything. So then we read in Matthew 17, Jesus saying this, Oh, faithful, uh, faithless, pardon me, and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? Sounds a little impatient, isn't it? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus casts out the demon. Later, the disciples go to him again, a little dim, and go, how did you do that? (laughs) Why couldn't we do it? His famous words are, because of your little faith. So here here we clearly see, listen, not frustration, nor impatience, but again, Jesus bearing, caring. We see the forbearance of Christ. So throughout the Gospels, from his birth until his 30s, 30 years of age, we continually see Jesus displaying patience, constantly patience, constantly being questioned, constantly being doubted, constantly being rejected. How does he respond? Patiently. Patiently. All the time. He just responds beautifully. Never in anger. Especially when the mob gets angry and cries out, crucify him, crucify him. How does he respond? He's silent. He's silent. He never lashes out. He never condemns. He is perfectly patient. And listen, why? Why? How can he be so perfectly patient? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit is perfectly ripe in him. Yes, of course. But I want to propose to you one other reason. One other reason, which is important for us to see this morning. He's patient because he has a very long view of things, as does your Heavenly Father. He knows that the future is absolutely 100% certain. We sang about hope today. Jesus' hope is not in us to go and save the world. It's his hope that's in us that causes us to go and tell the world about Jesus. Amen? Amen? He's perfectly patient, and he's certain. Patience, therefore, is required. So I think this can be the first lesson for us this morning with patience, and that is that you and I need to have a very long view. Instant gratification? No. We need to have much more of a long view. I had a a boss, one of my favorite boss mentors many years ago, Mr. Robert Kojima, uh, he was a Japanese man. I was working for JVC. Uh, he mentored me quite a bit. He was a funny guy. Uh, he was a Harvard MBA grad, very intelligent. I really liked him. He took me up me every Tuesday for a little catch-up and a little pep talk, you know, to get Glenn to be a better salesman and eventually a manager and all the rest of it. And, I mean, he, he used to call me grandson. Okay, L's are a little hard to pronounce, but and I love Robert, and he would laugh hearing me say it. Uh, but we would go out, and I would often ask him questions, and he often had one answer for me before he would actually tell me the answer. He goes, oh, grandson, you know nothing. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. 
you know, just had to humble me, right? But one, one day we're out having lunch, and I said to him, I said, you know, because I was seeing something happening in North America, and that was, it, it was past the days of Made in China. It was at the point where Made in Japan meant it's the best. And in fact, the automobile industry in the United States was greatly suffering because Japanese vehicles were coming into Canada and the United States and beginning to outsell the American equivalents. So I said to him, I said, Robert, what's happening? Why is this happening? <clears throat> Very smart man. He said to me, he goes, oh, grandson, two reasons. Number one, you are too fat. <laughs> I'm like, excuse me? He's not talking about that. He's like, no, he's talking about our North American culture. We, yeah, we are instant gratification. We, we think we're, we're all that. We're the best. Of course our cars are the best. Of course you should buy our cars. But then what he said next was really important. And I never forgot it. He said to me, he said, Glenn, when people go to work in Japan in a factory or uh, any, any business, or any adventure whatsoever, we, we aren't just doing the work for today. Our view is this. What I do today, what I do tomorrow, is not for me or even for our customers. It is for the people who will work here 100, 150, 200 years from now. That's how they came to dominance. That's just a, a human attribute that they applied to having a long view, keeping eternity in mind. That also made me think of something that I read in Second Peter. Remember, uh, we did First Peter where he wrote to the exiles in Asia Minor. He wrote a second letter. This is an interesting point that I think we need to see this morning. It's at the point where uh, there's some people mocking the Christians in Asia Minor. Go figure. And it's like, well, okay, you, you say he rose from the dead. Well, we didn't see that, but you say people saw him. Some people are still in your church that apparently saw him. But, hey, you also said he's coming again. You said he's coming again. So, hey, what's going on? Where is he? Why is he taking so long? So Peter wrote to the exiles, and he said this, but do not overlook Look this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now, some people have taken that wildly out of context and applied it to Genesis. That's not what it's about. What Peter is saying is that God's not in time like you and I are. His, he has eternity when it comes to time. And, and so he's always about the long view, always in mind for him as eternity. Past, present, and future in his mind. Then Peter goes on to say this. I love this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is, look, patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach, reach repentance. Aren't you glad that God waited 2,000 years? Jesus waited 2,000 years. You wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. We need his patience too. So now since we know that it is produced by the Spirit in the, in the heart and life of the Christian, we should then also, of course, not trust that we're going to find patience or learn how to produce patience in ourselves through a seminar, a book, or through meditation or something that we do as a man. So how then is it produced? Well, you're going to love this, right? You're all going to love this. I love this. Not necessarily. James, the stepbrother of Jesus, knew how it was produced. Look what he said. Count it all joy. Every time I read those words, I go, James. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. Same word in the Greek for patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So it's by, listen, the testing of your faith, testing your patience, I might add, that produces patience in you. See the words and let patience have its full effect because I feel they are key. Imagine this. Imagine you're back in the grocery line, right? And that person's talking to the cashier and you're like, you know, this woman behind me has a large basket full of many, many more items than I do, but obviously we're going to be here for a while, so I'm going to step aside and let her go first. Would you? I know that's a crazy idea, but... Or standing in the line and going, Holy Spirit, okay, this is a test, right? Would you ripen me? Would you help me to see something else that's going on here that I'm missing? But also, would you help me to realize that I am impatient? And that's going to lead to something else that we need to see here before we close. So yeah, let it have its full effect. How? By recognizing it for what it is. It's a test. And the full effect then is, in the text here, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Peter, in 1 Peter, of course, same thing. He said this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? To test you. As though something strange were happening to you. It's the life of the Christian. Why? It's about our sanctification. It's about ripening fruit in us. Paul has some amazing words on this subject. In Romans chapter 5, he says, Therefore, Since we, let's look at this, have been, who's he talking to? Christians here, justified by faith. We have peace with God. You have it. You can't lose it. You have peace with God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained an access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. I wish Paul would stop there. But he goes on to say, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that, this is amazing, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Hello, same Greek word. And endurance, patience is going to produce something else, character. What character? The character of God in you and in me. It's it's. I'm reticent to use the word, but it's kind of evolutionary. It's, it's ripening. That's a better word, right? It's the ripening that's going on in us. It's beautiful to see this. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given, has been given to us. Oh, amen. Not quite yet. So see that. God's agape love is poured into the hearts of a believer on their repentance and faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. That's how he produces patience in us. We've got to let him do his work. We really have to. I'm going for a long drive today. See what he does. It would be very helpful, I think. So finally then, the answer to the second question, how then is patience fleshed out in our lives? Well, listen, I know you know this, but... 
let me just put it to you this way. Christ's death on the cross accomplished many things. Nothing more significant than what? The forgiveness of your and my sins. Amen? But it accomplished another purpose. That you also and I also would be a forgiver. That we would also be forgivers. And that, my friends, is the most significant way that we live out or flesh out patience in our lives. And that's how the whole world will see that we love one another. I've said this before, but Matthew 18, uh, there's two teachings in Matthew 18 that Jesus gives to the church for very important specific reasons that I believe are the least obeyed today in the church. In the church, the church. Universal and local. You know what the first one is, of course? A brother or sister sins against you, commits a grievous sin. Not just, you know, they cut me off in traffic. No, they sin against you. Jesus tells you what to do. You go to them. You confront them about the sin. You point out the sin. Why? You want them to repent. Admit and repent. Why? So you can forgive them. Oh, that step is important, isn't it? Why? So that there would be re restoration of the relationship between you and them. And why? For the preservation of the unity in the local church. Right? Then, just a little bit later, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, I love Peter. A bit dim, but I love him. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I've often said this. Peter thought he was being generous. Just seven times, right? I mean, that's reasonable, right? After that, I'm done with him or her. Jesus replies and says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations and the Greek could go this way. 70 times seven. That's 490 times. I'm going to leave you with this thought this morning. I sense that Jesus is saying to Peter the same thing he would say to you and me. Peter, I want you to be patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way that I have been and I'm going to be after you deny me three times. Patient with you, Peter. I have some homework for you. Read the rest of that chapter, verses 23 to 35. And if you aren't convicted about forgiveness, being the fleshing out of patience in your life and in the life of the believer and the church, I will pray for you. It's so powerful. And so listen, forgiveness, I, I suggest to you in closing, is the long story with God. It takes supernatural patience the kind of patience he's had with you and with me, and he will continue to have with you and with me because we continue to sin, right? And so we need that, but we also need it amongst each other. It needs to be ripe in you and in the church. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, once again, thank you. You have shown us, I hope from your word this morning, a lot. But I, I hope, Lord, that you have shown us 
I know you've shown me that um, when I'm impatient, it's coming from an unforgiving heart. And so, yeah, Lord, I, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray the Holy Spirit that you would do the work in all of our hearts here this morning, whether present or watching online. And uh, yeah, you would ripen this fruit in us because this fruit of patience, uh, yeah, it works into all the other aspects of the fruit too. And so we, we really need to be patient people. We need your understanding, your forgiveness so that we can forgive others and we can be patient with one another. Patient, patient. So I want to thank you for how you're teaching us and guiding us. I thank, I thank you for your patience, but I also thank you for your gentleness, your kindness, your long-suffering, and your forbearance. It can only come from you. And so again, I pray that you would ripen all of that in us. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.